0: And Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts in this time, in this place, in history right now in Colac. Through your word, through the scriptures, Lord, that, Lord, you have inspired them and you have given them to us for encouragement, Father God. Father, you have given them to us for correction, Lord God, you have given them to us, Lord, that we might uh, know you better and, and walk in your ways, and we thank you in Jesus' name, and Just ask the Holy Spirit, bring conviction this morning. Lord, where where necessary, Lord, open our hearts afresh to you, to that joyful obedience that you look for, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been doing a series on uh, the Apostle Paul from the Book of Acts, and uh, sorry, I haven't got the visuals there this morning for that, but we've arrived at... uh, Acts chapter 15. And I'm going to just read uh, from the scriptures. It might be helpful if I find my notes. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll be preaching off the cuff, which I have done before, but I prefer not to do that this morning. Acts chapter 15. I'm going, to, I'm going to read most of the chapter. So you might like to open your Bibles this morning if you've got a Bible. I'll be jumping about a little bit, but we'll end up back at Acts chapter 15. The Bible says this, "Some, some some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question after much discussion peter got up and addressed them brothers you know that some time ago god made a choice among you that the gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe god who knows their hearts showed that he accepted them by giving the holy spirit to them just as he did us he made no distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has to... Described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in in agreement with this, as it is written After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore. (laughs) that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Bar- Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them they sent the following letter, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Syria. S- S- greetings. We've heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds so, by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends barnabas and paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our lord jesus christ therefore we are sending judas and silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing it seemed good to the holy spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols from blood from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers and sisters. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for his word. A little bit of background, we're at, we're at Antioch, we've come to Antioch, where at the uh, end of Paul's first missionary journey and Antioch was the third leading city of the Roman Empire. Uh, it is the head if you like of the gentile church and by gentile we mean every believers from other nations that aren't israel or aren't jewish and it, the church was was uh, had been established as those who fled the, the persecution you can read about in acts 11. they fled and took the gospel message and 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 this church was established it's very cosmopolitan in its flavor Uh, It has uh, leaders from uh, different nations, different backgrounds, and you can see that in Acts 13. And and so we have here the church in uh, Antioch, and the other church mentioned that in Jerusalem, which is the lead church at that time. And certain men had come up to Antioch and had raised this question of circumcision... It was a big issue in the, in the early church. We've got to understand that the early church came from and was in its infancy largely Jewish. We, we, uh, we know that uh, firstly, Jews came to Christ and then as the gospel spread, Gentiles were added in to the church. And this question of uh, circumcision is a huge question in the minds of, of uh, Jewish believers especially. And there were certain men who came up and raised this question saying, you've got to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses to be saved. It raises a question of obedience to the faith. It's a delicate and divisive issue and it had potential to split the church at that time. But it does raise important questions for us as believers in Christ, what and who are we to obey? What, it raises the questions of our ongoing salvation, of our walk, what are we to do, what does God require of us to continue in the faith? It's an important question and the question of circumcision was uh, brought, to the, brought to the fore just, just jump there, has brought to the, this question around circumcision brings to the fore God's covenant with Abraham and especially God's covenant with Moses and its relationship to New Covenant believers. There was a bit of a dad joke in there, if you didn't get it. This question around circumcision brings to the fore... (laughs) See, I'd just better explain what circumcision is. I think, I think we all know what circumcision is, do we? Well, circumcision is simply, that's right, the removal of the foreskin from the male penis. There you go. And I'm going to read it, read. and God actually gave this and, and instructed Abraham to do this. And I believe he probably did it because he was circumcising the male sexual organ through which the seed would come. There you go, a bit of uh, sex education in church this morning. <laughs> church my church, should be, and Christian families should be, where the best sex education happens. Amen? Uh, sex, uh, uh, sex is one of my favourite topics. <laughs> But I'm, I'm not going to talk. To, I'm not going to talk to you about it this morning. I'll talk a little bit. We can have a little bit of fun with it. But let's honestly. Next week, come next week. No. It's not my message this morning, but it's got potential. Sex is great. God created it for marriage. <laughs> he created it for marriage. I might hit that later. Okay, I'm just going to read from Genesis 17. How are we going for time? Okay. <laughs> One to eight. I've got to get moving. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, "'I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless.' i'll confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers abraham fell abram fell face down and god said to him as for me this is my covenant with you you will be the father of many nations no longer will you be called abram your name will be abraham for i've made you the father of many nations i'll make you very fruitful i'll make nations of you and kings will come from you i'll establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, "'As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised.'" You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born of your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring whether born in your household or bought with your money. They must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised, circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So when God makes a covenant, he, a covenant is much more than a, uh, than a contract. Uh, contracts are up for negotiation, can be changed, but a covenant cannot be changed. And God, when He makes a covenant, is always faithful to His covenant. And we see in this covenant that He makes with Abraham, later He stated it again with Isaac and Jacob, and He promises, He promises, here I've got those promises up there, have I? He promises, so I'll go to the side. There, He says, this covenant will be everlasting. This covenant will, I've lost my place. This covenant will be everlasting. He promises that he will be Abraham's God. I will be your God and the God of your descendants after you. He promises the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. God has uh, given the land to Israel as an everlasting possession. And a covenant, when God makes a covenant, it's actually amazing, isn't it, that God enters into a covenant with human beings. He He actually gives some terms to the covenant. And in, and in this case, he says, you must keep my covenant. Every male must be circumcised. And there's, uh, if we don't keep the covenant, if there was a failure to, that person would be cut off from his people. So we can see that in the mind, especially of a Jewish male, this is a huge thing, because to be cut off from God's people would be to be outside of the blessings and provisions of God. It would be to be outside of his covenant, community and family. And so this question of circumcision to believers, to Jewish believers coming to Christ is a huge thing in their minds. Um, we can see, well, circ- that circumcision is a big deal. And just but we remember from Genesis 15 that Abraham believed the Lord and god credited that to him as righteousness before he was circumcised so abraham was justified by faith before he was circumcised and you can read more about it in uh, romans chapter 4 where the paul says circumcision was a seal of that which he had believed and so we understand from the scriptures that in the gospel of our lord jesus christ there is a righteousness from God, a righteousness from God that is revealed, that is by faith to faith, or faith for faith. Romans uh, Romans three. Romans oh sorry, I've lost it. Romans one, of course, Romans 1:17. So with respect to salvation, with respect to our spiritual inheritance in Christ, circumcision. Uncircumcision counts for nothing. That's not to say circumcision isn't important. It still is important for a Jewish, for a a Jewish believer, but it does not save them. Only faith, only repentance and faith and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ saves. In fact, you can see in Acts um, 16 where Paul took Timothy, who had a a Gentile father but a Jewish mum. And for reasons, for evangelistic reasons, and just so not to upset the Jews at that time, Paul had Timothy circumcised. So circumcision in itself is not wrong. In fact, it's important for the Jews. But when it comes to saving grace, salvation in Jesus Christ, it counts for nothing. We're going to read Colossians 2, verses 9 to 15. Colossians 2... Verses 9 to 15. This is what it says. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In Him you are also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. It's great to see and have a demonstration of baptism this morning and, uh, and this is a circumcision that God is doing in us as believers and, what, and that which God is looking for is circumcision of the heart and it's a work that Jesus does and He does it and as we've seen this morning that Baal was baptised But before Belle was baptised, she's come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. God has circumcised her heart. He has cut away that sinful nature, that flesh that is opposed to himself, and he has given desire to Belle to obey him. We'll come come further to that later. But it's a circumcision of the heart, and and Jesus does this circumcision. It's Jesus who does it, and it's this is a circumcision that we need the actual issue of circumcision for the for the Jews as we read the scriptures getting back to acts 15 it wasn't so much just circumcision it was that they wanted them to obey circumcision and the law of moses so they wanted to obey not just circumcision, but the law of Moses, that they, that they, wanted, they were, were saying, you've got to obey the old covenant law of Moses. And that's why, as we read the Scriptures, Paul, especially in Paul's letters, he is so strong and opposed to this issue of circumcision because behind it is the law of Moses, that which God gave to Moses... On Mount Sinai, Deuteronomy thirty fifteen to 20. I'm not going to read it for, for time, but we, but if we read the scripture, you can read it about it in Exodus 19, and right through, uh, if you read Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll be reading about the law of Moses, that which the New Testament calls the Old Covenant. And within the law of Moses, it actually did include circumcision, so it's restated, and it includes our Ten command, the Ten Commandments, God's Ten Commandments, and it was a covenant that concerned Israel's occupation of the land, how Israel was to enjoy the benefits and the blessing of God. And so, in a sense, these guys who are saying, you've got to obey the law of Moses, if we're going to enjoy God's blessing, and we're we going to enjoy His favour, we've got to obey the, the, uh, the Old Testament law the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. It's basically a covenant which God says, obey and you'll live, disobey and you'll die. Obey and all the blessings will be yours, disobey it, all God's curses will be yours. And so this question... Is a huge question for the early church to face, and for us today, it still has implications, as we probably not so much tend to to go back into Mosaic law, though that can happen, but we tend to make up our own laws, laws that God has never stated, and that God is not asking us to do in order to please Him and to continue in the faith. I'm going to turn to Hebrews eight. 7 to 13. The book of Hebrews is a book that very often compares and contrasts the law of Moses with the New Testament, with the New Covenant, sorry, in Jesus' blood. I just want to say something, just while I'm thinking of it, that we're talking, when we're talking about the old covenant, or the law of Moses, we're talking about that which God, that covenant that God made with Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the whole of the Old Testament, though the whole of the Old Testament was written with much of this in view. Just because we, we as believers, I'm going to show you, are not living under the law of Moses, that does not mean. The old testament is irrelevant to us today that it, the old testament is god's word all of scripture is god breathed and and the old testament is instructional for us today it's um paul says in, Cor- in corinthians that israel's history lord it, it, is, that israel's history is instructional to us and that and Je- jesus upheld the old testament as God's authoritative Word and so there's much in the Old Testament that we can learn from and and get to know God better in. We need the whole of Scripture. It's just how we apply the law of Moses to our lives as Christians. Hebrews 8 verses 7 to 13 says this, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, and he's talking about the law of Moses, no place would have been sought for another, but God found fault with the people and said, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and turned away from them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother saying know the Lord because they will all know me. For from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. So we know from the Scriptures that there's nothing wrong with the law of Moses. The fault was with the people. That none of us can obey and fulfill God's law. For We all fall short and, and just can't do it. And so God says, and He and he makes this, says that a time is coming when he'll make the new covenant with the house of Israel. So he's actually, it is Israel's covenant that that, that we of Gentile believers have been invited into. And it's the new covenant in Jesus' blood that when Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin and my sin. He bore our sin in his body and he reconciled us to himself. And he made us, he made us, he circumcised our hearts so that Christ's Spirit could come and live and dwell in us. He says this covenant is not going to be an um, external covenant. covenant, it's going to be an, an internal one. I might have that up there actually. He says, I'm going to put, I'm gonna, God's going to write His laws in their minds. He writes His laws in our minds and He writes His law in our hearts. He gives us a heart that's inclined to Him, that wants to obey Him. He gives us a heart instructed. He gives us intimate knowledge of Himself. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. They will know me personally. It's internal, not external. This is a new covenant that God invites us into through repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a new covenant in the blood of Jesus. And it's this new covenant, it's from this heart, that we're to live out our Christian walk. It's from the new heart that God has given us. See, the Jerusalem Council, I'm just going to head back to Acts 15... As we consider, and we haven't got a lot of time, but as, as we consider the way they came to their, the decision and the core belief and the action that they were to take, the working through of that process, I believe, is, is an example of a New Covenant, Holy Spirit-led Church. Here we've got a new covenant, Holy Spirit-led church, in in action. If we go back to Acts 15, verses six to twenty-two, have we got Acts 15, six to twenty-two? I won't read it all. I'll just I'll just p- pick some points out from there. We see that the apostles and the elders they met to get they met together. They got together. They talked, they discussed the issues at hand. They discussed this question to do with circumcision and the law of Moses. We know from Acts 13 that this church is a praying church. In Acts 13 you read about them praying and fasting and uh, worshipping God together. We know that the church in Acts is a praying church. And so the apostles and the leaders in the church of Jerusalem have got together and they've talked they've prayed and they're looking for evidence of God's grace, they're looking for genuineness of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit and and it's reported to them what God has done among the Gentiles and they're saying, yes, yes, this looks and like and uh, demonstrates itself to be a work of God. And then we see that James who's the uh, half-brother of Jesus One of the, and the leader of the Jerusalem church, he, he uh, stands up and talks and he says and refers to the Scriptures, to the Old Testament Scriptures in verse 15, the words of the prophets are in, agre- are in agreement with what is, ri- what is written and what is happening. And he reads from that uh, prophecy out of Amos, which really looks to the end of... Uh, time, I believe, when when Jesus establishes His Kingdom, but He says in that Kingdom, there's going to be Gentiles, there's going to be uh, Gentile believers in that Kingdom and so, what God's work in bringing the Gentiles to faith is in, is aligned with Scripture, is aligned with Old Testament Scripture, in this case, because that is the Scriptures that they had. And so, this is a New Testament church And as we see in verse 22, it wasn't just the leaders, the leaders have responsibility before God to make decisions but they bought the whole church, in fact they discussed this with the whole church I believe, in verse 22 there's an agreement where the whole church decide to choose some of their own men and send them out to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And so there's this Whole, so there's this whole unity thing happening through the Spirit of God. I believe uh, that's something that we're to pray for and aim for as a church. Unity of the Spirit. Where are to, to look for and submit our lives to the Apostles' teaching. I just want to discuss that for a little bit, that there were apostles in this church, okay? They are apostles, and, and whatever we believe about an Apostle today, I want to tell you that there were no, that, that the, 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 the first 12 Apostles, they'd seen Jesus risen from the dead. They'd seen him alive. Okay, and then we have the Apostle Paul, who was used by God to, uh, to, to write inspired Scripture. And whatever you believe about an Apostle or a prophet pastor, teacher, today, there is no one, there is no one above the Word of God. There is no Apostle with a capital A, except actually Jesus is called our great Apostle, and this is His Word. And so as we come to make decisions about what core beliefs, what we believe as a church, what, what you believe individually, what actions I am to take, this is the authority of God's Word. The apostles' teaching, Acts four, Acts, Acts two, verse four. They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's our New Testament. That's our New Testament for us, church, where to submit ourselves to this word. And it's what the Holy Spirit is doing. If you have got the Holy Spirit and He's written His law in your heart, it agrees with this word. You'll find it out. You, agree, you read it. It'll, it'll agree. With this with this word i just want to quickly look at the letter that they sent out it says something about the spirit i believe that they gave the direction and the instruction at this time in verse 28 it seemed good to us it seemed good to the holy spirit and to us it seemed good to the holy spirit it just seemed good and to us, this is not a one-man. This is not a one-man show. This is not one person getting up and saying, "I've received revelation from God. God's taken me to heaven. I, I've uh, I've uh, got this insight on how to interpret Scripture." No, no. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good. It seemed good. Verse twenty-eight to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You see, I just want to see if we can get the spirit of the letter, that they're not putting the Gentile believers back under law. Okay, we've got to be, we're not putting here to put people under any law. Yet this letter and this instruction was to be obeyed. It was to be obeyed. You are to abstain. You are to abstain. And if you flicked across to Acts 16, it talks about these directions and says of uh, uh, Timothy and Paul and Silas, as they went out, as they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decision, decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so, while, and so while they were not putting any heavy, any under law, I believe it was to be obeyed, but it was through the Holy Spirit, it was by the Holy Spirit, it was in response to that which the Holy Spirit has done in each and every one of our hearts who believe and follow Jesus Christ. See, what are we to obey? Who are we to obey as disciples of Jesus? That's a big question, but I've just got a couple of scriptures to do with circumcision that I believe demonstrate the heart and the directive of the letter. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19, Paul says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. And Galatians 5, 6 says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts it's, is faith expressing itself through love. There you have it. What are we as christians to obey we are to obey god's commands we are to obey scripture we're to obey the leading of the holy spirit we're to obey how does that fit in with the law of moses the the ten commandments and all that god gave uh, moses commandments to do with all sorts of things if they're restated or in the New Testament, we're to obey them. But we don't actually live under that law. We actually obey the law of Christ. We obey the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus sometimes elevated, in a way, the law of Moses. He said, he said you know, do not commit adultery, the law, the law says, or it has been said. Do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her it's not that we're without law it's not that we're without things to obey but we do it and god wants to, us to do it out of a willing heart out of an obedient heart because he has written his law in our hearts and i if you know jesus you actually know what you're to obey the holy spirit will help you. And so we see, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? They say, you abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. Some of those things are just Jewish scruples. All of them, the Jews were very we're very um, sensitive to but some of those things are just jewish scruples they're gray areas the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love so in, in a gray area in something that's going to cause someone else offense faith expressing itself through love asks me to abstain from those things sexual immorality we know through through the scriptures through uh, the new testament scriptures that's non-negotiable we know that that's something that we are to obey whether that caused someone offense or not it's not about that only bible makes it clear that no one who continues in sexual immorality sexual immorality is all sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman and the apostle paul in galatians in corinthians very clear you will not inherit the kingdom of god if you continue in willful sexual sin and so just from from this from this letter we see both those uh, both those um, scriptures of 1st corinthians 7:19 in pl- in play circumcision is nothing keeping god's commands is what counts the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love I'm going to ask the band to come, the uh, worship leaders to come, and we're just going to continue to worship God. As a church, I wanted to encourage us to be praying. To be praying for a heart, for the heart of God, really, to walk in unity with one another. To keep the unity of the Spirit, to ask. Uh, god to help us with our hearts and be sensitive to that which he has written on our hearts to that which he has written in our minds we know him this morning we know the things he calls us to do and be we know those attitudes that we're to have and we know when we're when we've upset the lord when we've grieved the spirit of god we know those things church let's pray we're in a time i believe we're going to need to be praying and need to be praying for the unity of the Holy Spirit. Today I just believe, actually believe, there are people here that God is speaking to. He wants you to obey Him. He's been convicting you. He's been drawing you. You know there's steps that He's asking for you to take. We saw one step this morning. It was Bell's step. Of baptism okay that was a step of obedience that's not always easy to step steps of obedience are not always easy to take but God by his spirit writes his law in in your heart he inclines your law his law and today you might be convicted of sin and you need to repent and turn you need to change your lifestyle and you think it's all too hard God I can't do it I tell you if you will take the step And say yes lord i'm willing to obey you i believe you i believe jesus christ died on that cross was buried and rose from the dead and i believe that you took all my sin and broke sin's power you know this to be true if you will just take the step god will enable you he'll give you the grace to follow through and obey it's actually a joy to obey god it's actually a joy and when, we start, and when we walk in obedience to God, we start to realise and experience greater joy. Greater joy. I'm not preaching works. I'm preaching the obedience that comes from faith. Amen.